Antti Cheng and Matthew Truong are collaborating cinematographers on the 2021 dramatic release Blue Bayou, directed by Justin Chon. Antti Cheng is known for his collaboration on director Truong's previous films, namely the Sundance award-winning Gook, 2017, and Miss Purple, 2019. Together with Blue Bayou, these films form a trilogy meditating on the Asian-American experience. Matthew Truong, a newcomer to this project, has shot and directed a number of music videos, short films, and other creative projects. Matthew Truong and Andy Cheng, welcome to the creative process. Hi, nice to meet Hi. you. Thank you for having us. Yes, so we've just been enjoying uh, your film, uh, Blue Bayou, which was a direct, written and directed by Justin Chan. Uh, it's a very you know, fascinating story I want to go into because it asks so many important questions about what is an American and why do we keep on tearing each other apart and, you know, what unites us. But before we go into that, you're both cinematographers on this film. What were your journeys to becoming cinematographers? You know, my parents had a Taiwanese restaurant. So, you know, growing up, I think they wanted me to have a normal job and I just really didn't get the marks to go to university uh i was too busy watching movies and i think yeah at that point i think they they, they gave up on me and then my dad was like why don't you just go to film school which i didn't know that i could do <laughs> and then yeah going to film school and obviously doing something you care about then you don't even think of it as work and um yeah i guess you know started building from there and then worked on a whole bunch of different types of film filming just learning and growing growing and i mean i've shot everything from weddings to medical videos to <laughs> corporate videos to you know shooting functions or whatever and then slowly building that to music videos commercials and now films but it's a great uh training ground i th i think yeah yeah i was born in Taiwan, grew up between Taiwan and Canada, Toronto. And I think, you know, in one of the long winters there, I started making stop motion with, with Lego, with my friend, like in his attic full of Lego sets. And we had fun. And back in time, was, I majored in economics, I guess I was a little bit bored and started making films again with friends. And it more or less the same path with Matthew, you know, like, tried everything with you know shorts music videos commercials and I came to the, the u.s for for film school for grad school and yeah it all started from there a lot of people don't you know they love movies when they're growing up but they don't even realize that there is a job maybe vaguely a, a cinematographer mm -hmm. but this whole thing that is our experience a film is something that a lot of us aren't exposed to to even think about it as a possible profession. No, yeah, you are absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are absolutely right. Um, and then I guess once you start being exposed to it and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, it is kind of just like another job that you have to put in the work and learn the craft and it takes time to build that. And also, yeah, it's obviously yeah. quite different <laughs> as well than normal. Well, I think, you know, our the jobs are blurred a little bit more since, you know, there's Justin Chong, the director, is also the, the lead actor and the director and the writer. And you know, having both Matt and I 
we were able to you know keep it pretty fluid and and you know drawing from our past experiences exactly the amount of trust that i imagine because you have to be his eyes when he has to pay attention to the acting in, in the scene. And so you must, you, Auntie, must have a, developed quite a shorthand with Justin because is it your third film together? Yeah, yeah. We, we first met on, on a set, you know, he was acting, I was filming the short and he reached out to me afterwards and uh, you know, he has this passion project if I'm interested to shoot in the summer. And we had, you know, a lot of fun. It was, you know, we had no expectation. We just enjoyed the process. You know, everyone felt like family. Then out of nowhere, it got to Sundance. And we eventually won the category and got a theatrical release. And yeah, then we made our follow-up movie, Miss Purple. While, while all along he was, you know, writing Blue Bayou and waiting. You know, it was a lengthier process to get it greenlit and cast and financed. Matt also came on board, you know, just bringing his craft and sensibility, you know, just a fresh perspective. And I enjoyed the collaboration, you know, between the three of us. And to speak of that, what's now become a trilogy, although I think starting off, it was just, you know, one film. We don't know, you didn't know it was going to be three films now. Uh, and uh, now Blue Bayou. Tell us a little bit about this story, which I remember reading it years ago and thinking, gosh, that would be a fascinating drama. And and obviously Justin had the same idea. You know, that was like always, always a dream, you know, like growing up, you see great director and DP duos making, having a career together and, you know, making films out of films and evolving their their language you know i'm fortunate to to be able to do so for for the past few projects you know just building on top of 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 each film you know just learning from our mistakes and we know what what we like what we dislike what would work in in certain situations or scenes and building on top of it and yeah i think uh for this film, probably, you know, the, the story resonated with me the most because, you know, for, for me, I'm not even, like, technically, I'm not, you know, American. I'm, I'm, I'm also here on visa, on artist visa, and that my situation is a lot more fortunate than, than the characters in the movie, but, you know, it's still a very stressed, time, money, emotional consuming process. To, to be able to, you know, stay and, and work in, in the U.S. And uh, speaking as someone who was Asian, Amer- Eurasian, American, we're often treated as outsiders. For fa- They have the expression for it, forever foreigner. Uh, and, and what were your experiences or how did that uh, make you feel about, uh, you know, where you're working and living? I guess, um, you know, like I grew up in Australia, you know, Sydney and in Melbourne, and then I've been in the U.S. for the last four and a half years or so. And, you know, to me, I guess growing up in Australia, like Australia could be a pretty racist place, but it's kind of what I was just used to, you know. And then I thought what was interesting is when I was obviously making films in Australia, I wasn't, you know, there's no Asian, there's not really many <laughs> stories about 
people who look like me in Australia. So I was just making films. How do I be uh, invisible in a way, like to transcend whatever I'm shooting? And it wasn't until I came to the US where, which is pretty funny, Auntie, because I went to an Asian, Asian Pacific film festival in LA, like the, my second week here, and then they were showing Gook. And uh, I actually didn't even see the film, but I was speaking to some of the people at the festival and then they mentioned Justin and, and Gook and then they were like, oh, what's it like to be an Asian filmmaker? And at that point, I thought I was like, oh, no, no one's ever asked me that because I've never thought of myself as an Asian filmmaker. And it wasn't really until that conversation, I guess, you know, hearing about Justin and Goog and, and your work, Auntie, and then obviously coming on Blue Bayou, where it was the first time I really had to like think about, oh, I, who, me being Asian and in my experiences, how does that relate to what we're telling with this film here? And then obviously Justin could see some parallels. You know, it might not be something that you can touch upon specifically, but there's obviously quite a lot of your own personal experiences can shape your work or your approach or your perspective on, on a film. And then, yeah, to be honest, this was the first time. The search for, for identity, it's something, you know, I think everyone goes through and in their lives and might not have a, there's a constantly evolving answer. I think that's, you know, all of us can, can relate to, you know, the, the sense of belonging or like what's home, you know, we, with us being, so far away from, from our families. Yeah, and what's interesting, I, I don't know what it's like to grow up in a country where the majority of the faces are Asian, you know? So we're always dealing with this kind of invisibility or, you know, one one is a guest, but one is not the, what's called an American, say. As, as you thought about telling these stories, what were some of the discussions that took place between you and Justin and other members of the team and cast that you want to make sure is in the story and which maybe makes it different from, you know, an Asian American story told by um, non-Asian people? Um, I think, you know, I mean, with the character of Antonio, you know, he's obviously in appearance as Asian, but he doesn't talk or he doesn't act. Well, you know, he just talks and acts like an American, you know, like in the film, they say, you know, look at him, he's American. And that's always kind of been something, I guess, for myself personally, was, you know, I, I speak with an Australian accent, which is probably mixed with US now. But, you know, I've, like you mentioned before, Mia, you know, I've never really spent time in Taiwan, or if I've spent time in an Asian country, it's, you know, um, it's only for a limited, like a brief, brief amount of time for whatever project it was. And, you know, I know between Justin and I, we talked a lot about the relationship between Antonio and Kathy and trying to make that feel like a real genuine relationship and that feels believable for the audience. You know, like Justin and I, we looked at um, a lot of film references where there was an Asian male lead in a, who was a romantic interest of, uh, someone who was uh, white and there really isn't that many there is the, on the other way but when it comes to Asian males yeah there really wasn't a lot and that was something that we kind of like looked into and we're like oh well, how can we make this believable and there wasn't really anything that we could fall down on that was very specific it was just I guess just creating that environment where they felt 
together and real. And, you know, I mean, they've used it in the poster, one image of the two of them together, and it feels very, very believable. But that was something that we kind of paid extra attention to. And obviously that, to be honest, mostly came down to Justin and Alicia. There are some really tender moments. Um, her Alicia Vikander's first singing role, I believe, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. singing Blue Bayou. And, and of course, the character Jessie is an amazing uh, child actress, uh, kind of natural. And um, so, we, yeah, it, really, it was really very believable. But you pinpoint something that um, it's true, at least in um, a- Asian-American cinema, there are, are not a lot of, uh, strong romantic or male roles well there's not a lot of roles anyway but just you know Asian American masculinity is not something one is, you know has seen a lot and and so it's just nice to see something really natural and Aiden who is uh, one of our university team members who's been holding back has her own perspectives on some of these uh, questions that are dealt with in the film. Okay. Um, Thanks, Nia. And hi, everybody. Uh, I guess my question also sort of is about um, the kind of precedence and the kind of movies that you watched that made you um, work in this way. So some things that come to mind, uh, Gook in particular with like the black and white scenes uh, reminds me a lot of like Chan is Missing. And then uh, I think that Blue Bayou sort of defies the model minority stereotype in a similar way to like maybe Better Luck Tomorrow. Um, so I was kind of wondering what your influences were, what movies um, like really made you guys excited and uh, how you got to working on this. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think to also to just answer what, what when I was saying, the scene of Alicia scene was really memorable for me. That was probably like one of the very rare times that I cried during like operating the camera because it was just such a beautiful, powerful moment, you know, right there next to her. It was actually a really cold night. It was, you know, deep into November. It's freezing cold. Everyone's in, but she has still been like, in a summer dress. And, you know, I and her her performance is so moving and beautiful that you know my eyepiece started fogging up and I couldn't see anything. But <laughs> I don't think anyone knew that. Justin really put an emphasis on and since we're setting and filming a movie in in New Orleans, he wanted us to spend a lot of time in the area just to you know getting to know the people, the the city, and just taking it in and, and you know treating treating him with uh, respect. I think we, we had a pretty international casting crew. So yeah, I think in a way, you know, all of us brought a little bit of our upbringings and, and culture to, to the table and just such a you know nice mixture of everything. And uh, yeah, I think also to, to answer this question, growing up in Taiwan in the 90s, we, like I was heavily influenced by American cinema. You know, that's like all, pretty much all I watched. Growing up, it's it's only when you know I came to the US like seven, eight years ago and started watching more like rediscovering East Asian cinema and like all the all the gems like you know that, that I missed and like the Edward Yang's films, the Wang Kawai films, you know the <clears throat> Coretta films. And that being said, I think while prepping for for this movie, I think the the three of us really wanted to to design. A, a visual language that's that's unique for the film and 
avoid, you know, drawing too heavily from from influences. I think, you know, when I came on as well, Justin was talking a lot about the Mexican New Wave kind of films like uh, Mores Peros and Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, they, what, I guess what was striking is because they were very, very human stories, but they also had a very strong sense of place. And I think we were inspired by to do something along the lines of that where it felt very, very in place of New Orleans and, and the South. You know, there's kind of a very similar sensibility in the sense of tone and then like New Orleans has a bit of an edge to it that Mexico City has. And combined with the 16 mil, we felt that we could capture something that really felt a lot like New Orleans. Throughout the course of my life, seeking out independent cinema has always been a priority for me. My uncle and I would drive far and wide in search of these rundown, one-screen theaters showing strange titles we had never heard of. And it was on one of these occasions that we stumbled into Pak Chan Wook's 2013 thriller, Stoker. Now, as someone who wasn't looking for representation in the mainstream, I have had pretty good luck finding it in the margins. The films I brought up to Matthew and Auntie make little effort to represent Asian Americans to a wider audience. Rather, they addressed audiences who were already looking and already willing to see these characters. But reflecting on Matthew and Auntie's answers to my question, I find myself thinking back to Stoker, this film by a Korean director with no Asian actors in it whatsoever. Like the films that Matthew brings up in this interview, Films from the Mexican New Wave and also American Westerns, Stoker can't clearly be linked to an Asian influence. But on the other hand, the film does address this sense of malaise, of unease, of being a person who does not quite fit into their environment. Although there are no Asian actors on screen, can Stoker be considered Asian American cinema? In the case of Blue Bayou, the answer initially appears much more clear. Following a main character who is phenotypically Asian, the film purports a dialogue of representation. However, the actual contents of the movie, as well as the influences cited by the filmmakers, really complicate this question. Antonio's Korean origin serves as a central point of drama and tension in the story, but rarely as the source of his identity. Antonio's sense of belonging, on the other hand, is formed by his American parents, his ethnically diverse city, and by the love of his life. The filmmakers devote ample effort to building New Orleans as a place that influences Antonio's character, rather than becoming a backdrop for his difference. The city highlights Antonio's contributions to it, and vice versa. So what makes Blue Bayou Asian American cinema? What makes Antonio an Asian American character? Hopefully, the viewers of Blue Bayou will find that these questions are much more nuanced than they initially appear. And now, back to the interview. I think the decision to, to go on Super 16 enables us to, to go with a much simpler and pure way of filmmaking. It's just us, a camera, and a couple of actors. And I think we, we also brought back old school techniques, you know, we, there's a few film stocks that has been discontinued or or been just brought back. You know, we found a hand crank camera and put Vaseline on the lens, there's stuff here and there. So I've heard there's a real joy of film and that it just makes, there's just something harmonizing about it. And cinema history, you know, past hundred years of being on film, it's only in the 
past you know 10 years where digital started taking over and you know for, for us when when we saw the opportunity to keep film alive we we took the chances and a lot of those films that we're looking at that were shot on 16 uh, super 16 is a lot of the films from the 70s like the john cassavetes film so we really looked at that and then when you read more about how he was making those films it was just with his family with some friends who came over no you know it was like and then he he managed to capture something that was very very human and very very close and you felt like you were there and we wanted to capture that so we kind of shot it in the same kind of mentality or yeah we didn't really have a lot of like big camera lighting of dollies and all that kind of stuff like we kind of kept it pretty pretty uh simple and essential mhm and it just had that certain mentality and approach on set and and what was it like also working with uh the very talented uh Sydney Kowalski and 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 uncovering this new voice I mean Sydney's really incredible I and mean, she came in like an open casting you know obviously we we uh, looked at quite a few young girls with this you know like a certain southern accent and you know Sydney had like a maturity to her that you know she's had so much going on that she felt very very real and believable and you know and then we went up to Atlanta to spend time with her and her family just to like just so Justin could just spend time with her not specifically going for lines or anything just having just spent time you know then we were like just at a house and we just shot some videos of just Justin and her spending time playing video games just walking around and um you know and i believe that was the same process with Justin what he did with the young actor in Goog right auntie yeah yeah i think um i think it just for for us is creating on set you know uh, just a comfortable environment for for them and you know especially thing with younger actors we found out like their first take it's always the the most natural raw take and not rehearsing at all well basically we shoot go straight to you know mm-hmm. take one and we found that like you know get to know each other and know their preferences and you know how to keep them in the zone and i think it's also for, for Justin because he was directing in the middle of a scene through his acting so that was something you know, to watch you know he he would just changed his performance to to get a certain reaction that that he was looking for like and he he could sense where the camera was pointing at and uh, at the moment um i not to put such a broad term uh, but uh asian cinema is also becoming you know more and more recognized for the beautiful visual storytelling as you compare different styles and different approaches and you kind of sample from this great buffet i mean what do you appreciate about those different approaches we're all connected but we all have different ways of telling our stories You know, for me a big part of why I love what I do is because I do get to travel and I do get to spend time in a lot of different places. You know, for me it's always what what do I learn from this experience? How does this this experience make me grow as a person and to challenge me? And you know, we had like I said in New Orleans, you know, like we spent a lot of time with people in the south, we spent a lot of time with the Vietnamese community there and and they were just being with them you had a really strong sense of who who they were and what they valued um it also played into the film and yeah depending on where the film is set i think it has its own 
uh, yeah, it has its own personality and then we find a visual language that works with that personality, which is the exciting part because you don't want every film to look the same. You don't want to, yeah, you don't want to like repeat yourself. And I'm, I'm wondering about one thing. Um, the less we're exposed to, say, uh, representations of Asians, the less familiar certain um, parts of society are with, you know, accepting or reading the range of emotion. I mean, you know, that's something that obviously Justin, that's his approach and that's what he's, you know, that's what he obviously really, really cares about is bringing uh, attention and what's the word that he always uses, uh, anti, uh, bringing empathy to our community. And then, you know, I think when we come into this, every time we always try, well, does this feel real? Does this feel um, genuine? And then I think that's most important in, in the approach because, you know, I think if you start to falsify something or if you start to f- make something feel too stylized or too false, then it, it feels too sterile or it feels too, you know. So I think, you know, like, I know, like, they've talked about, oh, yeah, you know, like, people don't know how to light Asian faces, people don't know how to shoot or light black faces. And, you know, you kind of, re- you do read these kind of stories. And, yes, obviously you know, the color of the skin and the shape of the face, it all kind of like has a certain thing about it. But once again, it may be forced to like more of the subtle end of uh, technicality, if that makes sense, you know? Because yeah, for me, when I approach something, I don't really think too much about it besides trying to make it feel genuine. And then I think if it feels, if you, you know, if you capture it in a genuine way or you have, it could be a subtle thing and just like maybe it's the approach on set or how the the vibe and the atmosphere on set is and then people are a bit more relaxed. Maybe something to do with that more than like a technical thing. Uh, I mean, uh, what do you think? What do you think, Auntie? Is it, you think it's kind of like that? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's part of like a bigger, deeper question. But for for you know the technical side of it, you know, for, for us, well and for me, you know, because growing up in Taiwan, like I guess you know the the, the taste of aesthetics is different, or I'm just used to seeing and lighting East Asian faces. That's just part of my life. It's second nature. So I don't think too too much of it, and and I think it's something which you know we can can keep in mind. But it's just so it's just strange for us to to you know to overthink it too much. As a bigger picture, I think you know for Matt and I, we, what we can contribute the most is to keep on working and you know on these type of movies and to to for us to put in you know our craft and sensibility and i think that that's the most effective way well you've certainly done it beautifully and i don't mean to ask awkward questions but sometimes these things are behind they go behind people's heads and they don't say it (laughs) no no it's really great to have awareness of it and obviously being asked these questions about it and you're like oh maybe it does have you know because obviously, you know, the, the more t- more films we do or the more experiences we have, you always have to reflect on certain things. And, you know, yeah. like, why, why did I choose that over this? And why did I make that creative choice? And, you know, why did we go this direction? And, you know, at the same time, a lot of it is based on instinct and feeling and then building the confidence to have that, to go one way and then, you know, to make choices. Because that's what kind of what we do all the time is make choices. And I think Andy also mentioned that to not overthink a lot of things as well, because you can talk yourself out of, you know, or you can't overthink it. And then once again, it's just like basically coming down to what f- 
feels genuine and what feels real. And a lot of that is just like being present with yourself, being present with who you, with the people that you are with, uh, and to be open and to not second guess yourself. I think is a big, big, big thing. It's not talk yourself out a little, uh, a lot of things. And I know Justin, he, he thinks about this and probably thinks about it way too much in pre-production, but he also, when it comes down to the moment, he's super free and he's, you know, like that's why his films have the, the, the beats that it has is because he's not afraid to go a certain direction at certain times. And even times where like Antti and I are like, oh, okay, isn't that a bit too much? Or maybe that's a bit, you know, but that's Justin and his personality and you have to embrace that in a filmmaker. Yeah, and, you know, for, for us, you know, most of our jobs is to, to capture the actor's performances. So we, we see and notice, you know, the details. I think it's just for all, like, humans, some people express themselves with their hands more, or their body language or with, with their eyes. So, the, and that's something we notice and, and adjust and try to, you know, capture this. I think, you know, for the actors, like we, we study their face structure, their, you know, how their eyes taking light and, you know, their skin tone. It, like all of us are different and, and while being the same. So, so yeah, I think more miles and, you know, like the technical little details that we, you know that that we we know but we don't overthink it too much it sounds like between shooting on film and this focus on mexican new wave there's a, a huge attempt to make this film really like natural and visceral and i was wondering if there are any moments within it that you guys could point to uh, as like particular successes or if there are any um maybe unrealized dreams about this film that um, are still in your mind? That's a good question. I don't know if there's any unrealized dreams because I know it's a pretty, there's a lot going on in this film. <laughs> it's a pretty, you know, and then that was the thing that Justin was fighting the entire time of pre-production, you know, obviously we had a lot to do with the schedule that was given to us and within the budget level that we had. And, you know, they were like, oh, can you not ride the motorcycle into the water? into the bayou can we think of another option there and we thought about it but it did nothing kind of quite got there and to to give justin 100 credit is a force of nature because he was pushing for everything that was on the script and he was pushing for it and, and you know it was our job to support him and to figure out okay how can we make it work like what what else can we kind of like work with to you know still get what justin needs but also within the resources that we have and that was the big challenge for this film and you know to shoot on 16 mil which is obviously a, when it comes to uh, the budget it's kind of a luxury to be able to shoot on 16 mil but you know once again we also had to uh, work that within the way we we're working and so it was just that, yeah, that was the biggest challenge and i think we yeah i don't think that anything was really compromised and on that end it was like creative challenges, but I wouldn't say it's compromised because we kind of all made it work. And I guess, yeah, going back to what you're saying, yeah. making things feel genuine. I don't know. Was there a particular scene for you, Anthony, that, you know, that you mentioned Alicia Buchanan singing? Yeah, I think it's, I think our general approach to it is, you know, we will shoot the, like performance always comes first. So so we will shoot most of the scenes in a, in a moving master where we run the whole scene and, and then, you know, we'll go in with the camera and, and you know, the and try to capture the scenes that's almost, you know, 
as one continuous take and some of them in the edit you know in the final film as just one uncut take but we shot basically all the scenes that way and you know getting more variations of you know just as justin reynolds have choices in the edit and <clears throat> i think that that helped to you know that the actors and also just the the feel of the film it's more you know a lot of it like we're we're reacting to their performances in, in real time and, and making you know camera movement and composition choices on the fly and you know in a way that affected how we how we'll light the scene and how we'll set up you know the the sets and yeah you know on top of what matt was saying just a lot of it's just problems problem solving like one example is the the underwater shoots you know to do it properly we're constantly talking but like they couldn't fit it on the schedule because like we need to go to a proper tank and then lie there whatever have to bring all these elements in it and we just couldn't fit it on our 30-day schedule so the way we shot it is actually on the afternoon before the wrap party we we all went to our key grips backyard his house he had a pool in his back so we blacked out and justin jumped in and we had a little underwater housing for the camera so we just shot all our underwater work there in our key grips pool while the rest of us just chilling in the hot tub that's a great serendipity of how that all just comes together i mean um time pressures and I've really given birth to a lot of uh, interesting solutions. And I like also this um, doing the um, responding organically with your camera work on the fly. I don't know how it works on what a level of, but what I feel like when the camera, when there's not too many cuts that the camera it's like natural eye movement. You know, you feel in the room and you kind of hold your breath, don't you? You ho- hold your breath until um, like the cut tells you you can breathe or something. So it kind of it gives this w- wonderful tension and um, reality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that really became evident just watching the film again recently. Just they came really elevate, uh, relevant in the uh, ending airport scenes that I found, you know, because... There's so much going on in those scenes that, yeah, they make that feel kind of believable. And, you know, like finding that location was like a wall for a ferry that we kind of made it look like an airport. But yeah, there's so many, so much subtle things going on in that scene. I felt that Auntie and Sam and then obviously the actors did an incredible job on that on that last scene because people seem to feel it. Um, So I guess in closing, you know, we're thinking a lot about the future, uh, the importance of the art. You know, what were some important life lessons and teachers for you? Uh, What would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? I guess for me, a big, big thing I've been learning recently, and and that was, you know, a big part of being, spending so much time with Justin as well, is maybe not to give a fuck so much. Yeah, I, I mean, looking back at what I've done, what, what I've you know started to accomplish and then the choices that I made, it started to change when I really just wasn't a, to be afraid to do something. You know, I think a lot of people are too afraid to fail uh, or they don't make that choice to, to put themselves out there is because they're afraid of being rejected or they're afraid of dealing with embarrassment and all that kind of stuff. And 
you know, I think part of growing is to go through certain experiences, certain hard experiences, and failure is not necessarily a bad thing, you know? So I think that would be my advice to a lot of people is, you know, just go with what you feel. And most of the time, if you approach it in a genuine kind of way, then I think you, you'll, 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 you'll make it work in some kind of way. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, that's not a bad thing either. At least you went through some some things and to learn. I mean, you know, like for me, like all my heroes or people that I've always admired, they've always overcome something extremely difficult. <laughs> you know, the, the, that's, a, that's a definition of someone who you admire, someone who overcomes something. <laughs> you know, no one's admired for just being <laughs> smooth sailing or whatever. And I think when you realize that, you're like, oh, okay, well, then maybe I should start thinking about yeah being challenged and being daring and you know if it's like anything worth doing is going to be extremely extremely hard so you might as well just start doing it <laughs> and get used to it i, I can't answer any better than that <laughs> and you know once again like going into this when justin was like hey you know you and auntie want to partner up i was like oh, i've never really done that before and you know then you start thinking about some of your ego and at the same time you're like you know what maybe that might be like something that would be a growing experience because you know like as you mentioned before auntie is like a lot of the cinematographer's job you don't really see how other cinematographers really work you can kind of read about it but you're never there side by side with someone and you know with auntie and myself like when we decided to do it we're like hey let's really really uh, commit to this you know, let's live in the same Airbnb room and, you know, <laughs> spend all this time together. And, you know, there are times where it's like challenging because you're like, oh, I don't know if I'll do it that way. But then it's like, well, we decided to do this. So we have to be open to certain things and to be open to being challenged and to be open to say, okay, you know, if that other person or, you know, if Auntie or Justin wants to go this direction, like I have to trust in them and then follow through. And then, you might, and then through that process, you might think, oh, okay, I can see where they're coming from now, you know? And I kind of went both ways. And, you know, like I said, for me, it was like a big learning experience to be able to be working so close with someone like Auntie, who obviously I respected in the first place. And I think that's a big thing too, if we didn't respect each other, <laughs> they would have worked out, but... Well, it's uh, Auntie. What do you love about cinema? That I guess you know, it's a difficult road for people, you know, to to, to commit to this. So, you, what do you love about it? I I love how it's like one of the few art forms that allows you know collaborations between a huge group of people, and especially if you think about it, a lot of art forms are really just solitary about like one single person and, and and their their vision and i think you know this like a, this to our movie it's you know it's the result of hundreds of people putting in thousands of hours of work all condensed in in two hours and i think also you know from the perspective of the audience you get to sit in, in the cinema you know being like completely focused on one thing for for two hours that's really rare in in the modern society and that's what i love the most about it yes it's true collaboration and uh so i want to thank you matthew chuang and auntie chang for this film about unrepresented voices your compassionate camera work and inviting us into your imaginative worlds which tell us important stories about identity immigration 
and what it means to be an American. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Aidan Mirza. Digital Media Coordinator is Phoebe Browse. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.